0: Hey, listeners, before we start this episode, we just wanted to let you know that Jonathan Lethem is going to be at Books Are Magic, which is a wonderful independent bookstore in Brooklyn, New York, this Wednesday on the 14th at 7.30 p.m. The event is free, and he's going to be talking about his new book, The Feral Detective. He's going to be in conversation with Alice Sola Kim, who is a wonderful author in her own right, and Zasha Mamet, who you'll be hearing a little bit more from in the episode today. Now, on to the show. You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast for audiobook fans made by audiobook people like me, Andrew Caberline. Hello, audiobook fans. We've got a real treat for you today. In just a moment, I'll be handing off hosting duties to Zasha Mamet who interviewed author Jonathan Leatham shortly after finishing her narration of the audiobook of his new novel, The Feral Detective. You probably know Zasha from her work in television and movies, most notably playing Shoshana on HBO's Girls. The Feral Detective is Jonathan Leatham's first detective novel since his 1999 smash hit Motherless Brooklyn. There's a lot to like about this novel. There's a journey into the desert. There's a fun, unlikely detective duo. There's a character who keeps a pet possum in his desk drawer at work. It's delightfully strange, and we can't wait for you to hear it. So first, we're going to play you the interview, but stick around, because after that, we're giving you a sneak peek of the opening minutes from the audiobook. Take it away, Sasha. Sasha
1: we were just having a conversation about how to say your last name
2: (laughs) i know that happens all the time Um, it's it's letham
1: yes we figured that out but we also (laughs) listened to many people mispronouncing it which i understand so deeply um my zasha so it's like sasha with a z but it's spelled super crazy because it's a Mm -hmm. polish russian name
0: that's
2: excellent i'm so glad i asked um, because I was coming up with all sorts of other really bad uh, renditions of it.
1: You wouldn't be the first.
2: <laughs> yeah, great, Zasha. Uh, well, very nice to meet you, and thank you so much for recording the book. It really uh, was such a delightful uh, thing to f- to have have happen.
1: Oh, thank you so much for asking me. I really, I was super excited and very honored that you asked me. So,
2: I, I recorded one of my own audiobooks. I recorded um, a a book, a novel called. Uh, you don't love me yet, and I still feel that I know that book in a different way and better than I know any of my other books because I had to read every word aloud after you know after the final all the final decisions had been made and and it's very uh, humbling because I know where the bad parts are <laughs> <laughs> I know where the mistakes snuck in
1: I'm sure that's a weird thing to do of your own work. I feel like yeah. that's sort of. I feel like that might be semi similar to um, when I have to do ADR. It's uh-huh. like I have to not only watch choices that I made, but like be a part of them in this intimate way, because I have to like recreate them. And right. it's like it's sort of um, right. It's like all the bad choices I made, or the choices that I would change, or just like write up in my face
2: absolutely you're a collaborator with a past version of yourself yes exactly who, who is to, who's totally rigidly inflexible
1: absolutely just, their
2: decisions are immutable and you have to adapt to them
1: yeah and then and you just have to you just have to accept them as well in this way that's like oh god i would accept them if i didn't have to remember them
2: yeah probably a shrink would say it's a very good exercise oh. itself
1: god i hate that shrink oh. <laughs> I would fire that shrink.
2: <laughs> so so tell me what I what I got wrong. What's what what did I blow in um in in Feral Detective? This is going to s- It's going to
1: sound like I'm blowing smoke, but I really don't think you blew anything. <laughs> Honestly, I read that book so fast and it was just I recorded one other audiobook literally that I don't remember like eight years ago because the book was so boring I was like this book is just
2: you realize people can look that up I yeah. was like
1: oh <laughs> god darn okay it wasn't boring it was just not masterpiece it was a masterpiece like, it was it was a masterpiece it was just not my vibe yeah. um but you know when my husband and I first met um we used to read out loud to each other a lot of the time. Um, and uh, I introduced him to um, John Fonte and okay. we read a lot of that. Uh, I think I read um, Go Ask the Dust to him mm-hmm. out such loud. Such a great book. Oh, my God, such a great book. But, you know, um I'd never really, I feel like reading out loud is not necessarily something you do unless you're an author and you're on a book tour or mm-hmm. you have children. Um, and it it did really kind of highlight to me how a book takes on a different life when you read it out loud.
2: Absolutely. Um, yeah.
1: And when I read Feral Detective, you know, I got the offer and I read it like over a weekend. I just devoured it. And I was just so excited. It was like the idea that I got to sit in a room by myself and basically read to myself out loud and like <laughs> hear this nice. book in a different way. I was just, I was so excited to do that. Um, That's great. Because it just, it like, Feels good to read it out loud. There's, I don't know, it just is. Um...
2: That's music to my ears. That's really <laughs> great. And now, of course, I, I haven't heard your. I, how could I yet have heard it? But I'm going to listen to to you do it, and it'll be much better than anything I would have done. But um, <laughs> so, two two things. Um, I mean, one thing that you said right at the start that you read it fast makes me very happy. And you know, there are books I've written where I'd be a little worried if they were read, in a you know, yeah, uh, in a, in a rush. But this one, I wanted it to feel like. The velocity, you know, these characters in motion over the landscape, chasing each other, freaking out that, you know, I wrote the book faster than I've ever written a book. And I want, I you know, so when when people say that they actually, you know, read it in a couple of sit- sittings, or I, I think that's just right. I must have done what I hoped.
1: Oh, good. Uh, with yeah. This one. No, there is, there's, um, you know, it's interesting. Like, it's true. There are books, there are short books that have taken me a while to read. There are... It's interesting when you come across a a pacing of a book and how for some reason, some books are take longer than others, but there really is there's like a there's like a vibrating energy to this one. You feel sort of the desperation and the like, yeah, like the the drive- the sort of messy driving forward of all of these characters. I really
2: excellent felt That's- while I was reading it. I wish that was a blurb on the cover of the book now. <laughs> um, so um, another thing you said about like the way reading aloud functions with children. So in the time just before I began this book, I read all of the Tolkien trilogy and all of the Phil- Philip Pullman's trilogy, um, you know, his dark materials, yeah. uh, to my two boys. And one of the ways that that book, that that experience infiltrated, I think, Ah, uh, writing the Feral Detective was uh, those two books are. They put me in touch with the the way storytelling functions aloud and the way you know you know both of those. They're gigantic tales. Mm-hmm. You know, three enormous books lashed together, but they're also really simple because both of them, in a way, are just figures moving across space. Like the the you know, the Lord of the Rings is basically just a really long walk. Yeah, and- totally. And, and Pullman's book is also figures just moving through space looking for each other a lot of the time. And I was just reconnecting with the, the in a way, this like essential aspect of storytelling that that is excel, itself just really thrilling. And that, uh, in a way, even the Feral Detective is obviously so much smaller than those trilogies. I put, you know, Heist and, and Phoebe into the same kind of uh, situation where there's just like, there's, there's land, there's area and there's people and the people urgently need to move through the area. (laughs) And that that became part of my, my thinking about this book.
1: That's so, that's so wonderful. And it's so, it's so apparent. And I think it's also something that's often um, forgotten. You know, I, I talk about this a lot when I read scripts and how I feel like so often people in today's day and age with like all of the, Uh, scientific and technological advances, we forget that when it comes to storytelling, uh, it it can be and should be at its core so simple. And then you can add on top of that, but that like the simplest stories are sometimes the the best and the most engaging.
2: Yeah. Um, well, and even ones that people think of as super elaborate have some extremely elemental, yeah. simple action at their heart. You know, when we talk, like, as a creative writing instructor, I have students who are full of ambition, these brilliant undergrads, and they all want to do something like, you know, a high modernist. You know, they want to write Ulysses or, or As I Lay Dying. And the thing about those books is it's so easy to overlook that, you know, As I Lay Dying is a family moving a casket <laughs> across a landscape. There's yeah. something anchoring it in time and space that's extremely elemental and you know Ulysses all takes place mapped onto a single city in a single day again the figures are moving through space and on top of that Joyce has piled all this language and culture and and fantasy but that there's something uh, grounding it that's like what you're talking about that you look for in the scripts
1: Yeah. Um, also a funny side tidbit that made me love this book so much immediately is that you quote Don Powell who uh, is one of my favorite authors and no one knows about and yeah, uh, I I'm,
2: I'm I was a Don Powell completist when I discovered her I I just I fell in love and I had to read every Everything I could get my hands on. So uh, now I have to ask you a question: Do you like the Ohio books the way you like the New York
1: books? To be I, honest. I do, and oh really? Yeah. Wow. I mean, but I find them. You know, it's interesting. I I made my husband read them again when we first started dating. We were sort of swapping books, and I made mm-hmm. I can't remember which one I had him read, um, and he didn't. Uh, he didn't like it. It was an Ohio novel, mm-hmm. and. I realized that I read A Time to Be Born first. Right, was my my foray into her, and so I, you know, they're so different it, to me. It's almost like a different author.
2: It is like a different author, but I think that probably your your insight is is right that you have to fall in love with the New York Don Powell to to be um, sympathetic to and and curious about the Ohio Don Powell, and yeah, I, I think. The energy of her becoming that New York wit uh, is, you know, if you if you if you see the 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 girl in Ohio becoming that woman, then you're interested in a different way.
1: Yeah, because it's almost like, um, right? You're sort of following the story of her as a writer. In yeah. addition to, yeah, and that, and so I realized that was my mistake with him, and then I haven't been able to get him to read anything else of hers. Yeah.
2: So. <laughs> well, I, I, she's you know if i if I wanted to be a a, a a woman author, some woman author in in history, I mean, I guess her fate wasn't that that uh, that exalted a fate. I mean she was really uh, struggled to 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 find readers, but I just the way she writes about New York City, it it captures even though it's not my time, it, you know we don't overlap. I think more than almost anyone, uh, except uh, James Baldwin in um, in another country, Don Powell's New York City is the one that I feel like I believed I was going to live in when I was growing up there in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, just the 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 craziness and the the impulsiveness and the uh, the the different layers of you know. Um, types of people all crashing together all the time.
1: Yeah. It's a magical place that she writes about.
2: Yeah. So in my, in my mind, Phoebe was sprung sort of from Don Powell's, you know, sensibility and the, and the, the perplexity with which she regards California and, and heist himself, you know, comes from one of those Don Powell narrators.
1: Oh, I love that. That makes total sense to me, too. Because I also feel like anybody who yearns for the New York that Don Powell writes of is just going to be so disappointed in the modern-day New York.
2: Yeah, yeah. But also, they cre- the thing about a Don Powell is they created a New York. And so, like, there's a model, I think, of New Yorker that's comes from, you know, comes from the uh, somewhere else comes from Ohio or, or it's like Andy Warhol, uh, or Truman Capote and arrives there and, you know, and immediately is like more of a New Yorker than a native. And I, you know, I grew up in the city and I actually feel that in a way it doesn't belong to me as much as it belongs to these, uh, these people from the provinces who invent it by their love and their need for it to be New York, you know, whereas I, I can afford to be ambivalent. I grew up there and things about it uh, always freaked me out, or irritated me, or overwhelmed me, and I I've come and gone. You know, sometimes I want to live in New York, and sometimes I don't. But there's that there's that Don Powell, or or you know, like I say, like Warhol is another exemplary case. You know, they come and it's like this is what I want. They just they, you know it's like a it's like a banquet, and they and they eat it. But they're also inventors of the this. That's the spirit that I think really demands that New York fulfill itself.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the word that's sort of uh, the most important word there is need. You know, when you're born into it, you can, uh, you can take it or leave it, but there are those human beings that feel incomplete without this yeah. tiny island, you know, and they're drawn yeah. to it like sort of a moth to a flame. Um, yeah, that is, that is a good point. Question for Jonathan. What do you think of this audiobook boom we're having? Do you ever think about the way your audiobook's going to sound when you're writing? And has an audiobook ever informed the way that you write a book?
2: It snuck up on me that they're so prominent now. In a way, it's like we were all readying ourselves for everyone to be reading on the the Kindles or the Google Yes, grim, Grimble's or whatever the other ones are called, and um, <laughs> and instead instead the shift happened, but it happened away from the physical book into the audio book. It seems to me that that's what people. A lot of people will suddenly say to me now, "Yeah, I just listened to your book," and they mean what listen. they used to mean. Yeah, they yeah. listen to it, and they mean what this the same thing. They, they for them that's that they just read my book, and I'm infinitely grateful, as I always am, for readers or anyone who you know gives gives a shit. I'm just amazed and thrilled when people embrace this weird art form that I'm totally devoted to. You know, I don't take it for granted. And so that it that it's working for people is a is a is a fascination to me and a miracle. But um I don't that said I have never once thought as I write uh, how's this going to play in the audiobook? It would be a, a layer of intention or um artifice that would totally throw me for a loop if i let it s- sneak in
1: well it's a different you know? medium you know entirely uh, it would be
2: like thinking about having the film having the film rights you know oh this will work as a movie. this is make-, make a great scene or it would be like thinking about having it turned into like a a, a a meal at a chinese restaurant oh this would make really really good uh mushu pork This scene you know i just couldn't do that and and uh, there's so much to control and so much to wonder about as I write a sentence, just to make it a sentence that I feel uh, thrilled about, you know. And really, you know, when writing a book, you're its first reader, yeah. so I I write it like I'm reading it, and I, I identify with the position that that Zasha and I have just been talking about, the person sitting in a solitary space, apparently with nothing going on, but the, this giant activity happening between their brain and this, you know, the black marks on the page. I write it for that because that's enough. That's a staggering enough uh, uh, an experience to try to orchestrate for people, you know, and to think also about what it would sound like read aloud uh, would be the death of me.
0: If you loved that interview, I've got good news for you. That's not the whole thing. The rest of the interview is included as a bonus when you purchase the audiobook, which is on sale now. If you want to hear these two in conversation in the flesh, get yourself to Books Are Magic in Brooklyn, New York, this Wednesday, the 14th at 7.30 p.m., where Jonathan will be in conversation with Alice Sola Kim and Zasha. Now sit back and enjoy the opening minutes of The Feral Detective.
1: Part One, The Wash. Chapter One. I was 20 minutes late from my appointment with the feral detective, because I drove past the place twice. In daylight, broad, flat morning in a rental car with GPS that only sort of betrayed me. It was the feeling the place inspired that betrayed me worse. The feeling, specifically, that it was a place for driving past, and so my foot couldn't find the brake. White stucco with red wood-clad pillars and a terracotta tile roof. A deck ran around the second floor, accessible from stairs on the parking lot side. The windows were all barred. The signage at the various doors was either crappy plastic or just banners printed vertically, nailed through eyelets to the pillars. One said only, Tattoo. Another spa, upstairs, warrior sutra body piercing. In the window of spa, in front of closed curtains, neon bulbs in red and blue said, open. I assumed I knew what spa meant in this case. It was nine on a Saturday morning, January 14th, 2017, or 920, since I was, as I said, late. It seemed impossible to be late for an appointment with anything at a building such as this. To make an appointment here was to have dropped through the floor of your life, out of ordinary time. You weren't meant to be here at all, if you were me. Having missed the destination, I drove a ways on Foothill Boulevard before figuring it out. The malls and gas stations and chain restaurants took on the quality of a single, repeated backdrop such as Fred Flintstone would motor past. Space was different here. I doubled back and slowed. The building wasn't dark, exactly. Nothing could be in this glare. But it had a warty density that made it easy to miss. The problem was also the immediate surround. Beyond the parking lot, a wide-strewn trailer park. On the right, behind cyclone fence, a tundra of pits and heaped hills of gravel, in a lot the approximate size of Central Park. Maybe I exaggerate. I do. Half the size of Central Park. In this wasteland, the building seemed fake. It claimed a context where none was possible. I mean, human beings, ones you'd want to be or know. The power that had caused me to drive past was more than unappealing. The building made you aware of mental blinders. To park your car here was to not be who you thought you were. Maybe I wasn't now. Plus, the blue was killing me. I don't mean the blues as in the white girl blues. I did have those, though I'd never resort to such bogus shit aloud. It was the blue of the sky that was killing me, that and the way. Across the street with no sense of proportion or taste, snow-capped peaks argued intricately with the flat galactic blue. Beneath the peaks, white bandwidths of fog clung to the contours of rock. There was nothing like these in the sky itself. If I stared at the places where the blue met the white, it freaked me out. It was a thing you only saw in the movies with Actors costumed as dwarves running up a CGI mountain. Except here there was no black frame, no exit sign floating in the periphery. Just the blue. I considered the word unearthly and then discarded it as stupid. This was the earthly, precisely. I parked in the lot behind the building and looked for suite number eight. I had to go up the stairs to find it. The second-story deck put me in a new relation to the expanse of trailers, the suburban vacuity beyond. It didn't solve the mystery of what was tucked inside those gravel arroyos, though, or how the white fluff could be stuck to the mountains when there wasn't a cloud in the sky. Lady, you did this. You went west. Now suck it up. I knocked.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening. And if you did, why not search Harper Audio Presents in whatever podcast app you're using and hit the subscribe button. Better yet, write a review while you're there. It would help us out a lot. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back soon with more forays into the wide world of audiobooks.